You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What's going on, everybody? We are back. It is that time again. Episode two of the Sooners Illustrated podcast. Episode one, I think, went pretty well. So we're going to come back. We're going to try and keep the momentum rolling with episode two. Josh Calloway. James Jackson, Tom Green making his podcast debut. Oh. <laughs> Before we get into anything, Tom, what's up? Welcome to the program. Yeah, man. It's good to be on with you guys. Sorry I missed out on Monday. I've uh, kind of been on the road the last couple of weeks. Was down in Arlington with you guys for Big 12 Media Days last week, then spent much of this week in Nashville for SEC Media Days, and finally back home. It's nice to be in my own bed, in my own office, and out of that freezing cold ballroom at the Grand Hyatt in Nashville. <laughs> Tom gets to pass on this one. That's that's big time for him to go out there and even cover that for us. So big time from Tom, and uh, yeah, it's great. That's great. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was a very valid reasoning for Tom, and we're going to get into SEC Media Days and his week in Nashville. Uh, coming up here in just a little bit, we'll also, of course, have Colin Kennedy. He'll be along later on in the show to talk about all the latest recruiting uh, news. There's been a lot of it, and we're actually going to get into a little bit in this front end, too, because it's just so much and some breaking news just earlier today. I'm going to try and not sneeze into the mic. Got a cold all week, but we're going to battle through. Hopefully I don't just cough directly into my microphone. We'll try and avoid that. Um, I do want to say also, if you didn't watch the first episode, it's obviously available still on the YouTube or wherever else. Um, have been incredibly, you know, it's been awesome seeing the response to the first episode. Um, great viewership. A lot, a lot of really kind comments. So hopefully everybody enjoyed that and we can continue that momentum here into uh, episode two. Um, looking forward to it. If you missed that first one, we're going to be doing the shows a couple times a week. Going to probably usually shoot for Thursday, but there was plenty of reason to wait till Friday because of a lot of things. So we waited an extra day and uh, got a lot of stuff to get to. So we're going to dive in here. The main thing, we're at the top. We're going to get a lot of SEC media day and stuff like that and a lot of recruiting later with Colin, but we got to right at the top just a little bit before we record, about 30, 45 minutes before we started recording this. Taylor Tatum, number one running back in the 2024 class. We have him as a four-star. He's a five-star in the composite rankings. Also plays baseball, extremely dynamic baseball player. Announced his commitment to Oklahoma. We're going to get into this a lot with Colin later, but we got to off the top, guys. I mean, it goes without saying, number one running back in the country. Uh, committed to Oklahoma today. Pretty big deal. Yeah, it's, it's huge. I mean, you're talking about a foundational piece for that 2024 class. He's the first five-star mm-hmm. that they've picked up. They're now up to 15 commits. I think they are got the 16th ranked class in our uh, team composite rankings right now. And I was look, looking it up. I think he's the seventh highest rated running back commit in, you know, the 247 era um, just behind, uh, you know, a few guys you might have heard of, uh, yeah. Peterson, Marco Murray, <laughs> who recruited him, obviously, um, yeah. Joe Mixon. But that's that's some elite company to be in right there. I mean, what what an impressive get for DeMarco Murray and company. I mean, that, that's just like – like you said, it's the foundational piece for an entire class that, that'll come on and that come with that. I mean, it's, it's such good news coming for Oklahoma fans over the last couple of days. I mean, you get, you get Devon Mitchell, the tight end, who was going to reclassify, but he was in the 2024 at first. You get you get uh, Tatum, who's top running back in the class. And on the basketball side, you get a hometown kid, Dayton Forsythe, who's the best player in this state all at the same time. I mean, what, what a time for OU fans right now. I think it's a a time for them to rejoice and be happy with yeah. the program and the coaching staff that they have on uh, going for their program. Now the recruiting's hot. You're right, James. It's hot in a lot of sports. And uh, yeah, the fact that Tatum, you know, obviously number one running back, that's going to get the headlines, but mm-hmm. the guy can really uh, rake at the plate as well. And he mentioned in his recruiting is a commitment announcement on the, the Longview uh, football YouTube page and, and wherever else that he told schools that weren't really interested in him playing both. Thanks, but no thanks. I mean, he is serious about playing baseball at the next level, too. So going to be awesome whenever he gets here in due time to see how he handles both. And 
the reality is Oklahoma is becoming a destination program for guys who play multiple sports. I kind of started a little bit with Kyler Murray, but I mean, guys before Kyler too, but um, it's becoming a thing, which is a, a good thing uh, for Oklahoma. We'll get into more of that with, with Colin here in just a little bit. And uh, they also had a Zion Reagans earlier this week as well. James yeah. mentioned foresight. So yeah. lots to get into uh, a little bit later on. Do want to let's just rip the bandaid off with the, with the Brent Venables, Deion Sanders discourse. It's taken on a life of its own uh, this week. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to give you the comments that Brent Venable said. Now, I think he talked about it in multiple spots. He didn't talk about it in any sort of a press conference format at Big 12 Media Days. It was all in like one-on-one interviews. I think he brought it up a couple times. But I'm going to give you the one that he gave to OU Nightly Sports, which is the student newscast and stuff at OU. It's actually where Colin and I met and became friends. We worked on that when we were in school. Shout out to quote. <laughs> Down to the journalism program over there, making headlines here. So here's the quote that he said exactly about Deion Sanders from Venables. We're another year in establishing our standards and our culture and our values. That matters. A year ago, I challenged the guys. I wasn't like Dion that gave guys a bunch of pink slips. I gave guys 12 months of grace to go to class, live right off the field, and show up with a great urgency and respect for your opportunity at the University of Oklahoma. So obviously what he's referring to there, if you, you, know, you live under a rock, Deion Sanders, when he took the Colorado job, basically sat in front of the team and told everyone in there, like, none of you guys are good enough to actually play for me, and um, a lot of you guys are going to transfer. That's what Venables is referring to. This is now taking on a life of its own, that Brent Venables is taking pot shots at Deion Sanders and, and whatever else. Guys, we're not going to talk about it for real long, but just reaction. Did, did Do you feel like Venables took a shot here at Deion Sanders? Was he just being honest that he went about it a different way? Just what's your overall – takeaway or, or thought about this uh controversy if you want to call it that yeah i don't think he was taking a shot directly at dion per se i think he was just kind of pointing out that hey there are different ways to go about building a program when you come in you you inherit players that you did not recruit mm -hmm. um you know venables obviously took a little slower approach gave these guys a chance to buy in for a year where you know dion was you know on the other end of that spectrum very extreme very you know, like you said, he came in and had that team meeting where he told them, hey, I'm bringing my baggage with me, and it's Louie. Um, so, you know, yeah. we saw a lot of roster overturn there in Colorado, um, guys winding up, winding up all over the place. Um, you know, Venables, you know, they've had their own roster overturn here. You know, he's brought in, what, 70 players since he arrived. Um, it's just, you know, different approaches. I don't think it was a direct shot at Dion, but because he mentioned Dion's name, it's going to get the headlines because it's July and it's talking season. I mean, Dion Sanders is like the, the number one talking point in college sports right now. Like that's who you talk about uh, in the media and anything else. That's where everybody wants to know what's going on. And because he only has 10 guys remaining from that team last year at Colorado it's a it's a very unprecedented situation for college programs, and I think uh, it's got everybody's attention, and it's got Brendan Venables' attention as well. Now, should he have said his name? Probably not. I mean, probably right. not. Let's you right. know, let's be professional about it and 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 talk about the right things. Talk about your programs and the way you do things. But did he take a shot? I don't necessarily think that's the case either. It seems like he, like Tom just said, he was talking about different ways to approach the situation of coming into a new team uh, that's not where it should be at, at the time that you get there. And I, that's what it comes down to for me, I think. Yeah, I think he, I, I think Venables, he, he, he took a shot, but it, like he didn't mean to, if that, mm -hmm. I mean, what he, what he said on paper definitely reads to me like, you know, you taking a jab kind of for no reason, but I, I don't think, I genuinely don't think he meant it that way. I'm not going to pretend to know Brent extremely well, but haven't been around him a lot uh, the last, you know, year and a half or whatever since he's been on the job. I, I don't think he was like, I'm going to set out on this student interview <laughs> to make national headlines by, by ripping Deion Sanders. I think he just generally, I think he was just getting into his philosophy and he, he was making a comparison and he thought, you know, what Deion Sanders, that went national, that went viral basically. I didn't do it like that. Like he's just kind of making a comparison. So it kind of reads as a little bit of a slight and it kind of was, I mean, because, He's saying, I didn't want to do it that way, but I don't think he meant it that way. It's taken on a life of its own. It's been national news, basically, which is crazy. Um, the funny thing is, I mean, we talked about it, or I did with Colin on Monday's show, is that he kind of, he, he did really take a shot at Miami. 
in multiple interviews, but nobody really seemed to care about that that much. That kind of went under the rug pretty quickly. Except um, for Miami fans. <laughs> except for Miami fans. I mean, Oklahoma Miami fans are having having a ball with it, but nationally. I remember, I remember yeah. hearing about this at media days, like just rumblings of it from <laughs> other guys. Like, did you hear what he said about Dion? What are you talking about? Because it didn't happen at the main presser. Like, right. we talked to Dion. I mean, we talked. We not Dion, but we talked to Brent Venables three times at the at the TV presser at their own our own presser, and then at the uh, individual player and coach presser. And he didn't say anything like that. And so you're like, what are you talking about? I, we talked to him all day long. I didn't hear anything like that. So that was weird to hear that. And uh, you know, when you first hear about it, it's like, wow, okay, I see what's going on here. The biggest letdown of it all is that then Dion wasn't uh, able to attend Pac-12 media days. Mm-hmm. We didn't get the response. We didn't get the yeah. retaliation, yeah. which is a major letdown. Because uh, you got to imagine there was that fake quote floating around, which was extremely fake. And hopefully, uh, you know, everybody acknowledges that, and knows that now. But I wouldn't put it past Dion saying something like that. Quite Sound right. like something he would say. Yeah, he did. That's why it was believable. Um, wild stuff. Maybe we'll get an Oklahoma-Colorado game at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Shifting over to SEC Media Days. Tom, how was it? You were in Nashville all week. We uh, James and I talked about this a little tiny bit on Monday that they're going to be in Dallas next year, which is going to be a different vibe completely. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll all get to be there uh, next year. But Tom was nice enough and uh, to make the trip for us. What's the what's the word, my guy? How was it? What was the vibe? Um, obviously, we talked about on Monday, James and I, that Big 12 Media Days was a little kind of weird because it's like this big elephant in the room of OU and Texas are leaving. I got to imagine it was almost like the exact opposite in uh, SEC Media Days. Like there's this excitement that these new teams are coming in. What, what was it like? Yeah, Oklahoma and Texas kind of loomed over the entire week. I mean, I mm-hmm. think part of that is that there was a lot of Oklahoma and there's a lot of Texas media in attendance uh, kind of just in anticipation of that move next year. But also when you look at, you know, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, you know, his, his opening press conference, you know, in his opening remarks, you know, he, he addressed Oklahoma and Texas joining the league, league expressed his excitement for it. And that's when he also announced that next year's media days will be in Dallas. Um, You know, he wanted, you know, to get that event in Dallas, you know, a few years back. I think it was in Jimbo Fisher's first year at Texas A&M. But things just kind of didn't work out. But now to have that opportunity to, you know, expand that league footprint and, you know, showcase your shiny new toys mm-hmm. um, next summer uh, in a very familiar setting, obviously, for Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, you know, I, I think that kind of, you know, set the tone for the week ahead. Um, and yeah, I mean, lots of coaches, lots of, lots of players all kind of, you know, chimed in on that impending move for Oklahoma and Texas. I will say I I did have someone come up to me, um, either Monday or Tuesday and be like, oh man, what, what's this like for you? This, this has to, this has to feel different because, you know, Oklahoma and I was like, I actually feel at home now because I've I've been here the last eight years. Yeah. last, Last week in Arlington was a little bit more, uh, weird for me, but, um, yeah, it was definitely an interesting week, and lots lots was said about Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah, for it anybody was, who's watching who doesn't know, Tom covered Auburn for a long time before coming here, so he was our uh, he he's going to be helping us out a lot <laughs> next year, uh, especially. We'll help him out this year. He'll help us out next year. Go ahead, Teamwork, baby. <laughs> yeah, it, it was interesting to see. Like it seemed like OU and Texas were already coming like this year. The kind of type of questions <laughs> they were getting asked, and the, the way the coaches were responding, it's like. Man, I, that's what I want to know next year. That, this year, I'm already getting all the quotes and everything. So that was fun to see. But it also, it was crazy to see how many connections there are like to OU. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you, you talk about some of the coaches, some of the players, Tennessee's coach, Josh Heupel. You got Arkansas Sam Pittman, who's a, a fan of OU, Spencer Rattler in South Carolina, you know, and a lot of others that you could list. It's like, man, there's a lot of ties to OU. They Like this program is, you know, you see that this program is big time. So the fact that people say that they're not going to be ready, I don't know. It seems like they, the way they have it and the way they're building things this year, it could be really good next year. Yeah, you know, 2020, after 2020, where we didn't know we were going to have college football at all, you know, that summer, you never want to wish away a season. You want to cherish mm-hmm. every season you have. But this this whole college football season is so weird because everything – is looking ahead to 2024 <laughs> when the conferences realign, not just the SEC, but USC, UCLA, or the Big Ten. The playoff expands. Like this year, 2023, is completely the last one of this current era, essentially. 
And so there is so much looking ahead going on. It's kind of like, like James said, it feels like the moves have already happened. But we got a whole other year here. We still have to sift through before mm-hmm. we get there. Now, I do want to talk about you guys both kind of briefly touched on them. Some of the comments that we heard uh, there was I, it felt like and Tom would know better than me because he was actually there. But it felt like from afar that almost literally every coach fielded some sort of an OU or Texas something question. And lots of players did as well. Um, the big names, of course, Nick Saban and nothing but nice things to say, essentially saying it's just going to make the FC better, more challenging, deeper, all that good stuff. Um, Josh Williams of LSU took the opposite approach, basically said they don't know what they're getting into, that sort of a thing. Uh, the SC is a beast, kind of implying that, you know, we play big boy football here, which is not not wrong in the SEC. What stuck out uh, from what you heard, Tom, James, from afar? What, what are some comments in particular that you kind of made raise your eyebrows a little bit? Yeah, I, I think, you know, from a coaching perspective, all the coaches kind of had the same company line, mm-hmm. um, you know, that Oklahoma and Texas are only going to strengthen the league. Um, you know, Nick Saban, uh, Lane Kiffin in particular, they re- really talked about how just how challenging the SEC schedule already is and how that's only going to become more difficult in 2024 when these two teams join the league. Um, I know Lane Kiffin's, you know, obviously – Oklahoma will be making the trip down to Oxford, Mississippi to play Ole Miss next year. And, you know, he was like, hey, it, it's like playing an NFL schedule. Um, so yeah. that, that was kind of the sentiment from a handful of people. Um, a couple other things that stood out, the Georgia players and uh, just kind of what they felt about that game that was supposed to be played this year uh, being canceled. Um, you know, Brock Bowers in particular, uh, you know, best tight end in the country, California guy. He was like, man, I, I was really disappointed because I like going to all these different venues and different places and experiencing mm-hmm. you know, different traditions and pageantry and kind of seeing what different stadiums and fan bases are like. Um, you know, another Georgia player uh, just was like, man, I, I, I don't care if we play them or not. You know, we, we got another home game out of it. We have a chance to showcase ourselves against Ball State. Um which you know isn't exactly Oklahoma, but sure that'll be a barn burner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But 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 Georgia did get an extra home game out of it, so I think that they're probably a little bit relieved that they don't have to travel to Norman this year. Um, and you know those teams will have to probably wait until 2025 to get that first matchup. Um, but yeah, I think those were probably the biggest things that stood out mm-hmm. outside of you know Shane Beamer and Spencer Rattler, obviously two guys with deep ties yeah. to. Shane Beamer, former assistant here. Uh, Spencer Rattler, of course, spent three seasons here. Um, they kind of talked about whether OU was ready to make that move to the SEC. You know, Shane Beamer certainly believes that they are, um, both from a you know on-field product and you know just looking at you know the caliber of teams that Oklahoma has been able to field over the years. Um, and from a facility standpoint, you know, he's like, I was impressed with the facilities when I was there, and now they have a. $175 million football building that they've got planned. So they will definitely be in the mix in that, you know, college football, you know, SEC centric arms race when it comes to that. Um, and, you know, Spencer Rattler, from his perspective, he's, he's, he's played in the big 12, he's played in the SEC and he talked about the biggest difference, uh, you know, just being the physicality of the league. Again, you hear that mm-hmm. comparison. It's like playing in the NFL. It's the closest that you're going to get to that, and, you know, I think that's kind of the thing that Oklahoma and Texas are both going to have to prepare for, especially when it comes to the line of scrimmage. And those are two guys, Shane Beamer and Spencer Rattler, that, had, that, that look back on their time in Oklahoma very differently, uh, very, very differently. James, what about you? I mean, listen, you recruit for the, the conference that you're playing in. I mean, that's, that's what I think. Like the Big 12 has been very offensively heavy, very skilled athletic guys uh, in the skill mm-hmm. positions for a very long time while the SEC is dominated in the trenches pretty much. I think we're already seeing the shift now for OU as they're trying to go more on the de- like defensive line, improving that part of their uh, their defense and getting ready for the SEC. That's the biggest difference I could see. Like As Spencer Rattler said, the physicality. OU has a, a winning record against the SEC, if, if I remember correctly. So they, they know that they can play against these guys. It's just – getting ready for a full schedule of them. And I think that's where the defensive line, uh, they have a great offensive line coach who they can recruit offensive linemen and get guys they need on that end. So I think getting the defensive lines uh, ready for this uh, SEC schedule is the biggest thing. That's what it's going to come down to for them. 
Yeah, and when, when you look at, you know, bringing Brenton Venables in to kind right of on. guide the program into that transition to the SEC, mm-hmm. you know, he's a defensive guy, coached at Clemson, won two national championships there as a defensive coordinator, where they were fielding SEC caliber defenses, um, that front seven, and just, you know, really, you know, dominating that side of the ball in that line of scrimmage. So I think, you know, they, they probably had that in mind when they were hiring Brent Venables. Uh, you know, how are you going to prepare us for that transition to the SEC? And I think we're, we're like, like James said, we're starting to see that. Yeah, Tom read my mind. Exactly. Um, that that recruiting on the trenches and defensively and stuff like that, that was completely in mind when Lincoln Riley left and they brought in Brent Venables. That, that was hand in hand with those two things. We got to improve our defensive recruiting and things like that for this move. It all it all ties together. Now, the product on the field has improved, but so far that has gone exactly to uh, to script with the way they've recruited on the defensive side of the ball these last two classes. Do want to mention uh, Josh Heupel, which is very, you know, obviously most people know the backstory there. Obviously, Josh Heupel is quarterback in Oklahoma and they last won the national title in 2000, was the offensive coordinator in Oklahoma, and it ended not great. It was a very uh, kind of nasty breakup, essentially, whenever Oklahoma moved on from Josh Heupel. Oklahoma kind of will toe the line that they didn't fire him, but they they did in reality. And they brought in Lincoln Riley, um, which ended up being a great hire, obviously, in hindsight. But it also worked out for Josh Heupel, who took over, uh, you know, at Missouri, then UCF head coach, Tennessee head coach now, has that program rolling. He was asked by Oklahoma, and it was surprisingly warm, at, at least on paper. Tom can speak about it better than me, but a couple of things he said. So the, the relationship isn't complicated. I've got nothing but great memories of the people and my time there. I certainly do. Everybody there helped shape who I am and where I'm at today. The Heupel stuff is interesting. He's coming back to Norman next year. Tennessee plays at Oklahoma in the first year of OU being in, in the SEC. The Heupel stuff is interesting. What'd you make of it, Tom? Being, I know you're not, you know, been around this program a long time, but you can still read the tea leaves and kind of have an idea of what that relationship is like. What it seemed like to you when he talked about Oklahoma, what was the body language and things like that? Yeah, I, I think when you look at it, you know, you kind of think time heals all wounds. Um, mm-hmm. Not sure there were some harsh feelings, you know, after, what was it, 2014? After when, you know, they did yeah, not. 2014 was the last season. Yeah, yeah. so I, I'm sure there were some hurt feelings, uh, you know, almost a decade ago when that happened. But, you know, it gave him a chance to kind of step out and expand himself as a coach and learn some different things. And like you said, it's worked out very well from him. He, you know, spent a – you know, a couple seasons at Missouri, then he took over at UCF as a head coach and parlayed that into an SEC head coaching job. And, you know, Tennessee finished number 11 in the country last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got, like you said, he's got that program rolling. Um, you know, I think things have worked out from him. I, I think, like you said, he probably genuinely looks back on his time at Oklahoma, both as a player and as a assistant very fondly. Uh, I know he's up on the College Football Hall of Fame ballot for 2024, you know, he talked about how, you know, he saw one of his former teammates, Roy Williams, get inducted this last year yeah. and just like what that meant and how special that team was. And you could really, you know, hear the genuine, you know, joy that he has looking back on that time there. Um, and, you know, when Tennessee comes to Norman next year, you know, I would be floored if he did not receive a very warm welcome and a standing ovation from Oklahoma fans. Um, at least up until kickoff, you know, once that right. ball gets kicked off, you know, all bets are off. But I, I think people will be very welcoming. Obviously, you know, he doesn't have a statue because he didn't win the Heisman. He was runner up that year at Chris Wanky, but he still, you know, looked at very fondly for his contributions to the program, winning that national title, you know, against Chris Wanky's Florida State. So he kind of got the last laugh there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it'll be a very welcome homecoming for him uh, next season. Yeah, definitely. Anything you want to chip definitely. in there, James? Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, yeah, it was just it was fun to see that, you know, some of his players didn't know, you know, how good he was at quarterback back in the day. So I read yeah. Tom's story on that and yeah. he had to show him highlights to show him, hey, I'm 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 pretty good. I know what I'm talking about a little bit. <laughs> well, so, as he was yeah. a <laughs> <laughs> that was that was fun to see. Uh yeah, that was that was that's pretty much it. Yeah, you know, they celebrated, you know, the anniversary of that national title team here a few years ago, and, and Josh Heifel wasn't there. Um, one part of it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of been a bummer. Uh, that, that relationship is so soured. Hopefully enough time has passed. And I agree, Tom, I think when he comes back next year, even with the Tennessee orange on, he's going to get a warm 
reception. Throw you fans. Um, that ending wasn't great. You know, he kind of he got a raw end of the deal. I mean, he was running this offense that was working great. They kind of changed it to you know what they wanted to, and then they ended up firing Heupel and going back to basically what Heupel was doing with Lincoln Riley. They, he got a raw end of the deal. He did, and uh, we'll see what happens whenever he comes back next year. But I imagine that reception will be a good one for him. Uh, one final thing, and then we'll, we'll it'll be a nice segue into Colin coming on here in just a, a few minutes. James mentioned a little bit earlier, number one player in Oklahoma on the basketball side, Dayton Forsythe, committed OU yesterday. Um, he plays at Dale, which, if you're unfamiliar with, is a little tiny two-way program, but they are a powerhouse at the two-way level. And, I mean, James, you know, covering high school, that's a team and a program that don't be fooled by the size. They could beat big boy. They could play with and beat and did beat big yeah. boys last year. Commits Oklahoma yesterday. James is a guy who, you know, I've seen him play in person a couple times. You've seen him play in person however many times. You know, I, we're going to re- lead right into Colin talking about it here on the other side. But your thoughts on uh, on Dayton Forsyth coming to Oklahoma, what he could be for OU in the near future. That's a big-time gift for OU. I mean, that's that's what it comes down. That's a big time get because he can be the foundation for a lot of of Oklahoma native guys coming back uh, mm-hmm. to play for the Sooners. I mean, the first time I heard about him was his his sophomore year. Yeah, sophomore year he was playing yeah. and he ended up leading his team to the state championship and won it. He scored 37 points in that game. And I was like, oh, my gosh, who's this guy? And he kind of he just kind of went on with that. And the next year they go undefeated and win another title. And it's like, man, this this guy's really good. You can you can see what's going on at Dale, and he's the main he's the driving force of that team. Is the main focus. Obviously, Dale has a very very good team. Guys that he grew up with playing in front of his house, just playing regular basketball, wiffle ball, things like that. And these guys have put Dale on the national, well, statewide scale of mm-hmm. what they can do. And to go up in the tournament of champions, as you talked about where it's usually like a Tulsa Union or Broken Arrow, those big schools that play there and win that tournament. That's the first time since 1978, I believe, that a small school has won that. Like, that's incredible what he's doing out there. So for for OU to get somebody like that, a winner, a competitor, and it's just amazing (laughs) for them, amazing for that program and and what can come uh, just from getting in-state guys coming up there from from now on. Yeah, definitely. I think anytime you can keep the number one player in the state – close to home um yeah that's a big win for your program obviously a big win for porter moser and his staff um yeah i'm obviously not as familiar with the enforcement as uh james over here but yeah i was looking into him you know you look at what he's been doing for team griffin you know blake griffin's nike eybl team yeah i think he was only averaging 11 points but he was shooting close to 40 percent from deep this summer um you know you look at what oklahoma shot last season yeah, I think they were 35% roughly, I think about 130th nationally. Um, so obviously he's still a season away from, from you know, joining that team, but he's definitely the type of player that can, you know, improve their perimeter shooting. Um, you know, obviously he's got some, some good handles, some uh, good passing ability, some good rebounding ability for his size. So you know, it, it kind of excited to see, you know, how his game develops as a senior and how this class develops now that he's in it. Yeah, I'd be surprised if if Dale doesn't win it again. The three peaties should be in their in their mm-hmm. in their forecast, I think. Yeah, undefeated last year. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, anybody who's kept up with me at at previous jobs or whatever knows that I've been banging the drum for a long time that Oklahoma has been lousy at recruiting in the state. It's been it's been bad, and for a program that's not playing real well, won five conference games last year. That's unacceptable. If you're winning at a high level, I can. I can live with it, but you can't be losing and also not keeping the best players in state. They all either go to OSU or they leave the state. David Castillo from Barnesville is going to Kansas State. Brandon Garrison from Del City is going to OSU. Like all these great players in Oklahoma don't end up at OU. So hopefully this is the start of, of bucking that trend. Um, it, it, more than anything, I do think Forsyth will be a solid player at the next level. But at the very least, hopefully it starts a trend of keeping the best players in the state at OU, which is what you need to do. Um, if they're going to turn this thing around, in my opinion, here in the next year or two before that SC move comes for them. All right. I think that's it. We'll, we'll loop Colin in here and we'll continue the Forsyth uh, conversation as well. We'll get into some stuff about the other two commits and some dates and names to watch in the coming weeks. Lots of good stuff with Colin coming up here on the other side. All right. We now welcome in lead recruiting analyst of Sooners Illustrated, Colin Kennedy. 
Sir, how are you doing? It is a beautiful Friday afternoon, and I am ready to talk about the sports. So let's get into it. A lot happening um, in multiple yeah. sports, even. It, it's been a, a busy stretch here, and a busy stretch is coming up. We just finished, uh, I just finished talking with James and Tom a little bit about Dayton Forsyth, number one player in Oklahoma on the basketball side of things from Dale, Oklahoma. We'll go ahead and pick up right there so I can get your thoughts on Forsyth before we get into the medley of football news to talk about. Just thoughts on him, what he could be at the next level, and how this recruitment kind of came together for him and his, I don't want to call it abrupt, but somewhat sudden commitment. It kind of seemed like it came a little out of nowhere, at least from afar. What about you? You know better than me. Yeah, man, this was pretty surprising. I think this one caught a lot of people off guard behind the scenes, if I'm being truthful. And yeah, my guy, my guy Brandon Jenkins, national basketball recruiting recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports, talked to Dayton not even a few days ago, and he had basically told Brandon, like, I might make a decision in a couple of months. It just didn't feel like there was ever really much of a timeline here. He didn't even really know when he was going to narrow down the top schools list, but it kind of felt like behind the scenes, this was going to be between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Villanova just entered the mix, Josh, like a few days ago. And yeah. so when he made that tweet out, I mean, it was like, okay, either this is a top schools list or maybe Villanova came in and did something to impress him. Something had to happen in order to make this sort of the, the force of issue. And I think eventually contacting people behind the scenes – this one is essentially made out, in my opinion, to be like Oklahoma State and Oklahoma were battling. Villanova entered the picture, and maybe that kind of told Dayton, like, hey, it's it's time to really start focusing on my recruitment and where these things need to go. Mm-hmm. And then I was essentially told, hey, Oklahoma was able to overtake Oklahoma State behind the scenes, and after a few discussions, he just wanted to make this thing right. So – I think this is a, a trend you're going to continue to see from from basketball prospects, just getting it done in more of like a a quieter stretch. Obviously, I mean they're they're doing a lot of tournament play and things of that nature, but I mean he he's a player that just would like to be able to really focus on his next actual high school season. Season, but when it comes to Dayton Forsyth, I think the guy went out at Peach Jam a month or two ago, averaged fourteen point mm-hmm. seven points put some solid assists and rebound numbers together. I mean, he's a guy that does a lot. I think they're excited about his shooting ability. And overall, I mean, this is a guy for us at 24-7 Sports is our number one ranked basketball player in the state of Oklahoma. So he's one that OU just couldn't afford to miss. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit on the back end with with James. You know, just keeping – Oklahoma hasn't been very good at keeping basketball players in the state. So – Get the number one kid, can kind of do it all at Dale. I mean, they won the state title last two years. We're undefeated last year. And uh, now he can, like you kind of said, focus on going for the three-peat and finishing his career off on a high note. I talked to him just a little bit after a game last year. And, you know, I kind of asked him staying home, staying in Oklahoma. And he kind of was like, yeah, he's like, I'm really just kind of looking for the best fit for me, truthfully. Um, he didn't put a lot of emphasis, at least when I talked to him that one time, on staying home. So. Good job by OU uh, there to, to wrangle him in and uh, see what he can be at the next level. He should be a fun player to keep an eye on. All right. Lots on football. We talked about it just a little bit uh, at the top of the show with James and Tom. Number one running back, Taylor Tatum, committed uh, just a little bit before we started recording the show earlier. Number one running back in the class, like we said, he's a five-star composite, um, and he's one of the you know, best recruits, period, in the country this year. He's a two-sport star, plays baseball. Colin, talk about it. We, we, you know, I mean, it, it goes without saying when you get the number one running back, it's a big get. But just yeah. how Oklahoma pulled this off. I mean, it's funny when you think about it. He's the type of athlete, Josh, where if we just wanted to structure the entire podcast and talk about him as a baseball player, we could be here for thirty minutes. I'm calling right? him on baseball. Yeah, yeah he's going to play OU baseball, and we <laughs> could talk about that for the next half hour. But on the football side of things, again, I mean, this is someone at twenty four seven Sports. Our network feels like is one of the nation's best at his position. And why is that? Well, Taylor Tatum is exactly what you look for at the running back position. And I don't think that OU's seen a player like him walk through the doors in a while. When you look at him from a player perspective, yes, he can run in between the tackles or outside of them, but he can also make plays in the passing game. 
but I think what also elevates Taylor Tatum, we prioritize things like track numbers and multi-sport participation at 24-7 sports. Taylor's got both. Yeah. I mean, he, he has run track. He is an elite outfielder with the ability to kick into the infield. So that positional versatility, I think, then translates to what he does on the football field. He can do a lot of different things, but I also feel like what elevates him, Josh, in my opinion, is his pass protection ability. He is physical. He likes to run between the tackles. But I think also one thing he likes to take on is linebacker blitzes. He takes pride in protecting the quarterback. And I think this isn't something, whether it be the the, the passing game or the pass blocking game of Taylor Tatum's, that's consistently shown. Because one thing you need to know at home, Longview is a more traditionally based and structured offense. Not only is Taylor maybe a little bit more used to coming out of the backfield in a mm. single set, um, but also – while his quarterback is in I formation or whatever, I mean, at, at some points, Longview is still literally having their quarterback strut to the sideline to get the play call. Like, that's the type of offense that we're talking about here. And so Taylor Tatum has long been asked to be sort of a prototypical pro-style running back. But at the next level, this is a guy who, in a multiple different ways, is going to be able to maintain that number one back status, whether it's pass protection pass receiving, or just flat out running the ball. He is elite at everything that he does. And, of course, like we mentioned, that will also likely carry over to the baseball diamond when he arrives at OU as well. Yeah, you know, they told a story on his commitment, uh, you know, ceremony that they did on the Longview YouTube page where he ran a 4 by 100 relay, won the race, and got out and pretty much changed into his baseball uniform in the car, bat a leadoff, hit a bomb. Um, yep. like right after the race and you know oh by the way he's the number one running back just a gifted athlete uh just gifted and he's going to be has a lot of potential to be a star and we talked about this a little bit before but is is it fair to say that Oklahoma is becoming a destination program for guys who play multiple sports because they're kind of getting that rep and they're you saw Skip Johnson today tweet out the two sport you thing like they're they're pushing it is, is that becoming a thing uh, it has to be right I, I think especially when you're transitioning to a conference like the SEC, those types of dynamic athletes have to become priority one, no matter where you're at from a football perspective. Again, like in the world of football, especially for us 24-7, when we are ranking guys, if you participate in track and field, in baseball, in basketball, that typically allows us to further um, con contextualize you as a player, but then also – I think if you are a football program out there recruiting to the highest level, you should always prioritize those players because that athleticism, it yeah. carries over in whatever they do. And if you're going to run a well-equipped football program, you just have to have natural athletes. And I mean, the SEC specifically is full of them. And we've seen the SEC a time or two have these multi-sport athletes. But Oklahoma, in my opinion, has long been one of, if not the best at handling them. And a lot of that goes to Skip Johnson. And Josh, you know more than anybody. I mean, everyone's going to talk about Kyler Murray as the sort yeah. of token holder. But, I mean, they've done it a number of different times. Cade Horton at one point was a quarterback baseball take. They recruited Mario Williams as Mario a Williams. Football yeah. and baseball guy. I mean, even dating back to Cody. Right, who just hit what his first? Just hit a bomb. Homer. Yeah. I mean, they they do this for a while now, and we're, those are only a few examples. I'm sure there are more out there. And so for Oklahoma, like not only has this long been a priority, but you have to become the destination program for these athletes, in my opinion, if you're going to win both on the gridiron and let let's say on the diamond or maybe even yeah. the track, which we'll talk on, touch on later, if you're going to go into the SEC. Yeah, and, and like we talked about uh, on the YouTube page, you know, a few weeks ago, James Nesta is another guy who's intending to do both at Oklahoma. So becoming a thing, which is not bad at all for Skip Johnson and Brent Venables. Earlier this week, Zion Raggins announced his commitment to Oklahoma on Tuesday. We talked about that on the Monday podcast. Felt good about where things stood there. Um, they go into Georgia and get a receiver who had a Georgia offer. Florida State was also in the mix there. What does it mean for Oklahoma to get Raggins? This is the fifth receiver in the class, too, which is a high number. Um, just kind of put it all in perspective. I guess the win, the level of player, and also what do we make of five receivers in, in one class here? Yeah, there's a lot to dissect with this Ion Raggins. Yeah. Right, and I, I don't know where to start, so I'll start here. Just as far as the player, 
What OU's getting is someone that, in my opinion, while not necessarily completely polished or a finished product physically, he is someone who is dynamic by every sense of the word. I mean, he's 5'9", 5'8", not necessarily the biggest guy in the world, has a lot of filling out to do from a frame perspective, needs to add muscle. He's also someone at the wide receiver position, in my opinion, Josh, you turn on the tape. I I think he's got a little bit more polishing to do from a route running perspective. But I do think that he's got the ability to combine his just world-class track-type speed with some layers of agility to him to where you can see this guy be fast, if you will, in every sense of the word. Some guys are just straight-line speed, right? But Zion Raggins is someone who, when he's running with the ball, it doesn't matter what direction he's being asked to go. It's going to look good. And so that's why Oklahoma wanted him. And further proof of that is found, Josh, in the fact that he's a multifaceted competitor. He will eventually, in my opinion, help out Oklahoma in the special team side of things. He's a return guy. I think he could ultimately help out maybe in kickoff coverage. He is, again, just blazing fast. And with it also carrying over sort of in the quickness aspect, he can do a lot of different things on a football field. If you coach him up, which Emmett Jones can. We've seen him be one of the best football developers of wide receiver talent. This guy is going to be someone who makes ridiculous plays before you even blink your eye. Now, on the note of Emmett Jones and wide receivers going to this class and now at five with, hey, I mean, may not be done either. They're at least hoping they add one or two more, depending on who you, you look at. I think that this is a group – Gabe Brooks did a really good job of diving into this a few weeks ago. This is a wide receiver class that you can tell they're not only trying to fortify the depth of that room, but they're also trying to bring in complementary strengths in order to fortify the future of the wide receiver position in Oklahoma heading into the SEC. So what does that mean? Well, number one, I don't. I feel like it's safe to say – you tell me if this is something stupid – feel like it's safe to say they're not necessarily thrilled with where they're at at wide receiver currently. I, I mean, we've seen typically a lot better receiver rooms at OU in years past. Sure. That doesn't mean they don't have good football players. It's just it's wildly unproven. And rarely are we ever sitting here talking about an unproven wide receiver room in Norm. So with Drake Stoops eventually headed out the door, right? Jaleel Farouk is draft eligible after this season. Mm-hmm. They, need to, they need to just add bodies. And – Five wide receivers after signing just one high school football recruit of the position a year ago, they needed to add five or six, just period, point blank. But then on top of that, I think you look at this class. Well, Ivan Carrion is 6'6", 205. He's probably a strictly perimeter player, but he is someone who can go down the field and go get the football, high point it, open things up underneath – for guys maybe like Raggins or KJ Daniels, your smaller slot wideouts, who can just scoot around the field and make defensive backs and linebackers question their overall athletic ability really quickly out of the gate. And then you've got a guy like Zion Kearney, who I feel like is more of the complete overall wide receiver in this group, but he's also probably going to be asked to play on the perimeter like a guy like carry on. And, and Zion is someone who, whether it's high-pointing or catching and running with the ball, he does it at a very strong level. And I think when you look at this class in totality, it's different skill sets that match up to build an overall complete one. And it's going to ask defenses to do different things from a coverage perspective because you truly have to ask not only coverage but personnel-wise, how are you going to be able to match up with these different wide receivers on the field considering what they're being asked to do? and how well they can do it. And so I, I think it's a really fun crop of wide receivers that OU's bringing in. I mentioned it as well. They are hoping they're not done. It's bleak. It's it's tough hope, but Terry Bussey's still out there too. Yeah. yeah. OU's trying to get as many of these wide receivers as they can, and together they build a class that I think fits really well into the future of the program and just simply on the field. Emma Jones, man. On a heater. I mean, he's been on the job, what, five or six months now, and he's got these five guys committed, also throwing Grayson Harris in 2025, and they added Brennan Thompson and Andrew Anthony through the transfer portal. I mean, he's been he's been doing work. What can you say? That was the book on when they hired Emma Jones. He's a good coach. He can develop, but he's going to crush it in recruiting with the OU logo on his chest so far. 
yeah. I mean, that's eight guys without having coached a game um, so far. In Oklahoma just lost six months or so. All right. Got a bunch of names here and dates to watch coming up. We're going to ra- uh, roll through these kind of semi-rapid fire. First sure. up, Eugene Brooks. He's scheduled for a July 25th commitment. He's a three-star lineman from Chatsworth, California. What are you hearing? What are you feeling about him uh, as things stand right now? Yeah, man, look, this is going to be a fun little stretch of uh, future announcement predictions of sorts, right? Because it kind of touches on some touchy subjects, if you will. On the offensive line front, Greg Biggins has been the guy that's keeping the pulse of this recruitment. Now, I put in a crystal ball prediction after talking to a couple sources. And I will say, Josh, a little bit unique that maybe he's set this commitment date and also OU is hosting one of its bigger recruiting events of the summer around that time. Now, whether or not he makes it, always up in the air when it comes to recruits actually making it to campus. But I just feel like the timeline matches up pretty interestingly there. Now, overall, I feel like this is going to be one that falls in Oklahoma's favor. I think Bill Biedenboe has done a really good job within this recruitment. I think also, too, what's really interesting about this, Josh, I told our subscribers at Sooners Illustrated following Eugene Brooks' official visit back on June 9th that coming out of the visit, OU was like, yeah, feeling pretty good, but clearly there's an affinity for a program like Texas. He also has a personal connection to the staff at Georgia, USC, UCLA. They could be out there. You never know. I mean, if an offensive lineman domino falls in the wrong direction for one of the programs out West, why not recruit a guy like that at a power program right in your backyard? So it was one that Oklahoma didn't necessarily feel too great about coming out of the OV, but as things progressed – Funny how these things kind of circle back around. And so the Sooners are, in my opinion, in the driver's seat. And I think that eventually come that 25th date, OU's going to see that offensive lineman join the class and maybe try and capitalize off of that, get a few more. Another one that uh, Oklahoma fans are certainly paying close attention to, just right down the road, at Westmore High School, Michael Patterson-McDonald. He's going to announce his commitment on July 31st uh, there in Westmore. Probably, uh, I'd imagine James and I will – uh, very uh, venture on out there for that. Obviously, you know, it's been talked about. He's really close with Xavier Robinson, who committed OU, and David Stone. Those three guys have been all over each other on Twitter or whatever else they want to play together. You got the first piece with Xavier Robinson, um, obviously committed Oklahoma a couple weeks ago. David Stone's still kind of floating out there. How do you feel like things shake out uh, here with Michael, who seem, seemingly has been like a, a OU lock or whatever you want to call it for Forever, it feels like at least. He dropped the OU lock term, ladies and gentlemen. Get get that comment section fired up. Um, <laughs> if it doesn't go well. Yeah. I, I do think, though, that Oklahoma's in a really solid position within this recruitment. I, I think Michael Patterson McDonald is one that a lot of people on the outside maybe won't necessarily label this guy as a must-get, but in my opinion – your class is not going to look the way you want it to if you don't get Michael Patterson McDonald. Now, he is a good football player, right? And he is an in-state target. So in a number of different ways, you really want to add this guy to the class. He's also Mm. an impressive character off the field. I think he fits exactly what Brent Venables wants in his program, someone to represent OU football. That's what Michael Patterson McDonald can do. But then on top of that, I think when you look at Michael Patterson-McDonald, OU has prioritized him so much because not only is he a really good football player and a really good human being, but he is also a really good relationship builder. And you mentioned it. He's close to the number of different guys. And Oklahoma would like that relationship to help them once upon a time. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I think that come that 31st announcement date, OU set for some pretty good news. And the hope then is to elevate off of that, of course, and trying to build that momentum into some some others that are associated with Michael Patterson McDonald. But just looking at that recruitment specifically, OU's in the driver's seat, and I feel really good about them eventually landing that commitment at the end of the month. But going off of that, you know who else Michael Patterson McDonald is really close to? Josh Calloway. He's our last topic here on the show. Oh, okay. With we'll get there. A little little teaser. A one Caden Dirt. So a little teaser. Yeah. A yeah. Teaser. Yeah. 
Yeah. One thing I'll say too with Mike L, I mean, th- these things are not always this cut and dry, but the final four is Houston, Missouri, and UNLV, along with Oklahoma. That's a battle that if you're trying to get the kid, you you want to win if you're Oklahoma. That's not one that's a great topic. Don't don't lose. Like just don't. <laughs> Because Twitter's going to be on fire if you end up losing to those programs. I, yeah. All due respect. but um, Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, you do. We have Caden Durham. I did want to also chip in real quick before we do Durham. Another Oklahoma kid with Josh Osiosa. Mentioned him uh, a little bit. Edmund Santa Fe is a three-star kid. Um, yeah. He's committing on – I had the date here, and then I slipped away from it. August 14th. the 14th, yes, is his uh, announced commitment date. He's kind of uh, coming on here, seeming like an OU uh, potential take here. What, what, what say you about uh, Edmund Santa Fe product, Josh Asiosa? Yeah, they, they offered him not too long ago. In fact, just this month, I believe the seventh was the day that OU finally entered the mix. And I think you look at this, Iowa State, I believe, has long been the primary contender within this recruitment other offers are from like Missouri, mm-hmm. UNLV, North Texas, Tulsa. And so this was a guy that probably, if he was going to go play Power Five football, would have to go to Iowa State. Now, the ability to then play for essentially the flagship program in the state of Oklahoma, I would assume, from what I've heard, is very enticing and rightfully so. Now, OU's had to expand the offensive line and board a little bit with the way things have all panned out, especially at the interior offensive line position. But I do feel like Josh is someone who earned this offer and has had to essentially prove to the staff that he's prepared to play for the program. And I think we talk about this a lot, but I think the general public forgets. You're seeing these offers go out because of essentially what I call senior eval season. That gets forgotten so often in the recruiting calendar. There are guys, whether it be in-state or three-star guys that are on the fringe of earning an offer that the staff would like to see develop further, whether that's just height and weight and weight room development, or if it's actually going to camps, putting a little bit further film on. I mean, obviously you're you're gonna wait typically till the fall to send out these offers. So you see these seniors playing their best ball when they should be, but sometimes a guy, the circumstances essentially force you to enter the mix. And I think Josh is someone who for a while was going to be a guy that earned this offer. It's just now is the time for OU to enter the mix. So with August 14th coming up soon, I don't think it's any coincidence that that has now become the date following a recent offer from Oklahoma right now. I think Iowa state is going to definitely try and fight tooth and nail towards the end. They would rather not lose another recruitment to Oklahoma that they've led for. And again, Iowa state's trying to find a way to stay within the mix of the quote unquote new big 12 and recruiting out there. They, they yeah. really need to kick it up a notch if they're going to contend with not just the TCUs, the Baylors, the Kansas States, but the Houstons, the UCFs, the Cincinnati's, and BYU's. And so I think that it's not a foregone conclusion, but Oklahoma's a really good spot for Josh Isosa and a guy in your backyard at a premium position feel really good about you eventually adding him to the class. So to finish up, full circle, we mentioned a little bit before, Caden Durham, so – Obviously, this has been Oklahoma and LSU, and Oklahoma fans have been really on top of this. He's going to announce his commitment on August the 25th. I think it's they have a game that day, right? I want to say it's like a, a week zero type of type of game. Duncanville kid, OU fans know a lot about him. You've been putting up notes for uh, people on the VIP uh, subscriber board, constantly trying to figure out where things stand with him. They officially now, I mean, we've talked about it before, and it's been kind of floating this OU taking free running backs thing. Well, they officially have two now. Xavier Robinson and and Taylor Tatum committed today. So how do you feel like things stand with Durham? And does the, does the two running back commits help? Does it hurt? Does it make no difference? What's your sense on his feeling about, you know, coming in with two other guys, if that's the way this goes? Truly. I actually think it helps. Now I think it's a lot different because of who those running backs are. Right. I think, if it were any other situation, it might be a lot different. But I think when you look at Caden Durham and how he's gone through the recruiting process, right, 
I do think that this is a guy who was maybe more so interested in having just maybe one other running back in the class with him wherever he ended up. Now, Durham is also someone who has built a lot further relationships over the course of visit season. And I reported for our VIP subscribers a while back that during the champion barbecue, in fact, Caden Durham and Taylor Tatum actually got to sit down and talk essentially for the first time Mm. this entire recruiting process. And I was told that that, discussion went so well that that now the two are essentially in frequent communication Mm. and what is the basis of that right why why does this change things well just like taylor tatum like we're talking about is a dual sport athlete he wants to play baseball he wants to essentially be a a a go-to running back out of the backfield with a place like oklahoma he also doesn't want to carry the ball 40 times a game i mean just objectively that's the right thing to do and so on the flip side of this, you look at Caden Durham, I feel like he's kind of in a similar sense in that he is a, a elite running back, but who would like to necessarily keep some track off the tires because he also wants to run track and field. And he has an OU track offer. He has an LSU track offer. But I feel like what, it help, what is helping Oklahoma is not only are they allowing him to pursue – that passion in track and field. He'd like to run at an Olympic level, and LSU is probably the program that helps elevate him. And that's why I think the Tigers built a lead earlier on in the gate. But Oklahoma sold the track and field program, I think, very well. And then now with Taylor Tatum and Xavier Robinson in the class, these are running backs who not only do a lot of different things on the field and they have different skill sets than one another, but they also have different passions off the football field, right? I mean, Tatum's going to want to go play baseball. Caden Durham's going to want to run track. Xavier is going to be someone who, while he sticks with the football program, I think he's someone who can do a lot of different things on the football field and will allow OU staff to utilize him in a different number of ways so that it's not just strictly on trying to mix him in with Taylor Tatum and potentially Caden Durham. And I think Durham has received this pitch really well. And so I still feel like Oklahoma's in a really solid position. That 25th date will also, I think, look a lot different as well whenever, like I mentioned, Michael Patterson McDonald makes his decision. That's another one that very heavily tied in with Caden Durham. Him, David Stone, and, and of course, Caden, they all kind of grew up together in that area. And so I know that they've discussed at length what that world would look like if all three were to potentially mm-hmm. end up at the same location. Now, I've reported this a couple of different times to subscribers. So if you haven't subscribed, by the way, and you're out there listening, you better hop on our board now. But I've told our board a number of different times, LSU has been pushing constantly to try and get him back on campus at the end of this month. We'll see what happens. I, I keep being told that it's not a foregone conclusion. Another thing that's interesting here too, Josh, is Texas A&M is at least trying to throw its hat in the ring. Mm-hmm. And so can't ever discount a program like Texas A&M, but – I know a lot of people have reached out to me asking how I feel about Caden Durham and where things stand between him and OU. And I feel like currently things are still pretty good. And I, I think that, what, a month from now, whenever he decides on the 25th, it might even be in a better position now that a guy like Taylor Tatum is in the mix and maybe you add a guy or two like a Michael Patterson McDonald. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even a David Stone. But that is another moment for maybe a time on our VIP board. So subscribers, <laughs> we'll address that there. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I got to think, too, that just, you know, and it's you could say this constantly, but the SEC move has to be helping. If you're interested in track and field, I mean, like they are in so many sports, SEC is the premier league for that as well. And Taylor Tatum expressed that, that, that the ability to play SEC baseball was attractive to him. So – Conference move. This is what we talked about so heavily, how much it was going to help, and it, it's it's helping um, in, big, in a big way. All right. Well, I think that's uh, everything we want to hit here. Obviously, there's other big fish floating out there. Your Williams Nowhere, your Nigel Smith, stuff like that. But uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. And that's why you got to subscribe. Oklahoma.247sports.com, SoonersIllustrated.com. Either way, they take it to the same place. Subscribe, become a VIP member. You get all the latest from Colin and, of course, all of us, all the uh, VIP content. We are – Pumping stuff out right now. Season is coming up. 
uh, fall camp is like a little a little week and a half, two weeks at most away or so, right at the beginning of August. So we're getting we're getting somewhere in a big way. So exciting times are ahead, and uh, we got lots of big stuff. August is going to be a bit of a wild month, I think, on both the current team and the recruiting side. It, it seems like so good stuff coming up. Yeah, man. Look, July, we knew this is going to be a big month, but if you need even further reasons to subscribe right now to SoonersIllustrated.com, not only do you get complete access to 24-7 sports and all of its team sites and national experts, you also get all of our exclusive content between the two of us and then Tom and James. You also get Paramount Plus streaming for free. It's like a hundred and something dollar value if you sign up yeah. with Illustrated. And then, oh, by the way, we knew July was going to be big, but maybe the month we should have been talking about is August. I'll leave it at that. You can find there out you why at There you go. Yeah, the VIP content, obviously Colin bringing it and carrying it, but one, especially once the season starts too, we're going to have a lot more VIP content from the current team as well. So you're going to want to be subscribed. If you want to know what's going on, subscribe, hang out with us, and that become part of the community that we have over there, which has been awesome. Uh, all summer long since this site launched. All right, I think that's it for us for now. We'll be back next week, obviously. More stuff coming up. Obviously, like we said, Eugene Brooks committing on the 25th, which is, I think, next Tuesday, I believe. So a lot more coming up. Things are happening regularly. Like I said, fall camp is a couple weeks away as well. So that's it for us for now. We'll be back next week with more as this thing continues to churn. Season gets closer. Recruiting continues to ramp up and get hotter and hotter. Colin Kennedy and James Jackson and Tom Green earlier. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll see you next time. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.